Unions, are they a net negative to society or net positive to society? I asked this on Twitter. A lot of people say, Pat, unions are bad. They're terrible. Look what they're doing to Hollywood with writers and actors being on strike since May, since July. Hey, look what great job unions are doing for their employees. Look at UPS. They got $30 billion now. An average full-time employee at UPS makes 49 bucks an hour. That's $101,000 a year income. Unions are fantastic. So I said, listen, let's take a look. Pros, cons, biggest unions in America, politically, which way do they give their money? We looked at every single election all the way back to 2010 to see how it looks. We looked at union leaders. What kind of money do these guys make? How much the actual membership costs? And last but not least, I just watched the movie Oppenheimer. It was a three-hour movie. Honestly, I think they could have gone on a strike for about an hour of that movie. But anyways, I watched the movie. Three major union leader names I'll give you. One of them, I think you know who it is. The other two, you're going to be like, that guy was a union leader? They were. Having said that, let's take a deep dive in unions. All right, so if you get value out of this video, give it a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel. Let's get right into it. A couple things we need to know, pros and cons about unions and what it costs. Number one, the cost of being part of a union is around 1% to 4% of your salary. If you make 50 grand a year, it could be $500 up to $2,000 of your salary to be a member. Now, why do some people join unions and why do people say, keep it away from me? Because about 10.3% of employees in America are part of a union. Here's the pros and cons. Pros, employees who are part of a union typically make more money than those who are not. Number two, safety protections. Three, job security. Four, a sense of community. Five, promoting equality. Six, protection from unfair dismissal. Cons, decreased flexibility. That means if everybody goes on a strike, you have to go on a strike because you're part of union, which means you ain't gonna get paid while you're on a strike. So you could go a week, two weeks, three weeks. If you're a writer right now, it's almost nine, 10 weeks you ain't getting paid for not doing work because you're part of a union. So you can't work while you're part of it. So that's part of the mandatory strike. Adversarial workplace relations, which means you're kind of like working at a place and you're not supposed to like your boss and your boss doesn't trust you because if they talk about everything, you may go tell the unions, they may come after them, they're walking on eggshells. The dynamics kind of change because you're working with your boss where he's kind of part of the enemy. He's like, well, you know, we shouldn't do union. He doesn't feel comfortable talking to you. And you're kind of like, well, I don't know if I should tell the union what's going on, but I kind of want to work here, but who cares? They're not going to fire me. anyway. it's kind of like being out of DMV, say whatever I want to. I don't care what they're going to say about me. I'm protected here. Number three is union dues. Number four is potential for corruption. Five, seniority over performance. You could be the best working person there. But nope, it's about tenure. They reward tenure and how long you've been around over somebody that's really driven to want to compete, which it attracts people that want to stick around, just give average return for work. Because many times, if I do too good of a work, then my expectation increases. So the competitive people almost always don't want to be part of a union. And last but not least, the consumer, the buyer takes a hit because every time they raise prices for pay, the way that company is going to make up for that expense is they have to raise their prices. So you, the consumer that's not part of a union, you're not paying higher prices. So it kind of messes up the company, but it hurts the consumer, which is you. So now let's take a look at what are the biggest unions we have in America. Number one, National Education Association of the United States, NEA, total membership over 3 million. This is public school employees, including but not limited to teachers, education support, professionals, cafeteria workers, bus drivers, etc., etc. Number two, Service Employees International Union, around 1.91 million memberships. This is hotel, restaurant, hospitality workers, RNs, professionals, etc., etc. Number three, American Federation of Teachers. It's a different union for teachers, around 1.67 million public school teachers, registered 
nurses, professionals, and others. Number four, International Brotherhood of Teamsters, Jimmy Hoffa, truck drivers, warehouse workers, and other trades. Number five, American Federation of State and County and Municipal Employees. Total memberships, 1.3 million. This is employees of state, county, and municipal governments. So now, somebody may be watching this. If you're part of a union, you may be like, well, screw you, Pat. I like my union. Cool. No problem, good for you. But somebody may say, listen, I don't wanna be part of a union. I don't want you to control how much I can move up. I wanna move up faster than you dictated my speed. I don't wanna be part of you. Yeah, that's why 10.3% of Americans are part of union. That's why 90% are not. Most of Americans are like, I wanna dictate my growth up. But let's look at these union leaders, these noble union leaders. Let's see what kind of money they make. Now keep in mind, in America, the highest position in America is a president, commander-in-chief, okay? We have a man there right now called Joseph. He gets paid $400,000 per year. This president, Joseph Biden, makes $400,000 per year. Let's see how his salary, the leader of the free world, matches to the salary of some of these union leaders. The great Terrence Sullivan, general president of laborers, national headquarters, makes 663981 Number two, Patrick Flynn. This is the treasurer or the main leader of Teamsters. His salary, $503,000. Newton B. Jones, president of International Brotherhood of Boilermakers, $491,000. Joseph Senes, executive director of National Production Workers Union. He makes around four eighty-seven. Then you have Michael Sweeney, who is the president. Earlier, I talked about Patrick Flynn, who was the secretary treasurer, but Michael Sweeney, the president of Teamsters, makes 387, slightly less than the president. And then we can go to others, James Hoffa. He was making 381. We can go to a bunch of different names, but these union leaders make pretty good money. Some of them make more money than the president. Now, some of you may say, Pat, what's the big deal? Elon Musk is worth $300 billion. Who cares if he's making 600? I'm just comparing a government employee union versus the highest ranking government employee. That's their choice. President Biden could have gone into free market and tried to compete. He could have done that. Would have made a lot more money. But if you choose to be a public government employee, that position, the highest position, only pays 400. These union leaders are making some real good money for a union employee. So next, I said, listen, let, let, let's just try to see, you know, where the money goes. Is there any kind of political gamification in this thing? Obviously, none of these guys are going to be dirty people. They're noble people. They're fair people. They're probably going to be right in the middle on the way they give their money. Half Republican, half Democrat. That's how it's got to be, right? I mean, they're going to be fair folks that we're dealing with. So here's what it looks like. 2022 election cycle. Dems versus Republicans when it comes down to public sector unions, top contributors to federal candidates, parties, or outside groups. It was a total contribution of $83 million, give or take. Party breakdown. 90% Democrats, 10% Republicans, but that's 90-10. So now it's, it's going to change. Of course, if we go further back, it's probably going to be closer to 50. Let's, let's go to 2020. Okay, 2020 Dems versus Republicans. Total contributions, $93 million, a little over that. 89% Democrats and you got 11% Republicans. Okay, so, so that's two of them in a row election cycle that's around 90-10 rule, but maybe it's going to change if we go to 2018. 2018, total contributions, $56 million, 87% Democrats, 13% Republicans, Fair enough. So now Republicans are kind of making some progress the more we go backwards. Let's look at 2016. $66 million. Ready? 90% Democrats, 10% Republicans. Let's go to 2014. $54 million. Ready? 92% Democrats, only 8% Republicans. It's going to change eventually, right? 2012, $44 million. 92% Democrats, 8% Republican. Let's go to 2010. $25 million. 91% Democrats, 9% Republicans. Let's go to 2000, maybe change it up a little bit. 93% Democrats, 7% Republican. Do you think maybe unions 
are necessary because they're protected by a political party that's getting them the votes and the money? I don't know. I'm just simply reading you reports. You can go do the research yourself as well. But this is what the data tells us. Now, to be fair, it's very easy for me to show you reports that only, you know, maybe favors one side of the argument, not the other side. Let's look at Gallup on whether they approve or disapprove of labor unions. The percentage has got to be high that disapproves, right? I bet 80% doesn't approve or approve or 70% or maybe 90% doesn't approve. But it's actually the other way around. 71% of Americans as of 2021 approve of labor unions. And it's been around that same number since the 30s. So if 71% approves, why is it only 10.3% of employees in America are part of unions? Let's take a look at this. So most companies will do everything they can in their power to fight off unionization, but there are strict laws against that called union busting. Like Amazon, Starbucks, Apple locations right now, like some of the employees are like, well, we should do it. We shouldn't do it. And we go, no, we should do it. And the guys at the top are like, listen, we do not want to be a union company. So there's a back and forth fight that's going on there. But union momentum always increases when times are difficult. The Great Depression led to the New Deal, which created several laws empowering unions and the National Labor Union was the first attempt in U.S. to organize a national federation of labor when labor groups met in Baltimore beginning on August 20th, 1866. This is an economic perspective on the change to an eight-hour day. Back in the days, you could work a lot more than eight hours and they said, this is too much. We got to get people working less. So now let me give you an ideal profile of somebody likes being part of a union. You don't want to work a lot. You want somebody to dictate your value and you want to be able to not give your best out a job and still get a steady raise and you know you can talk back to your boss and who cares they can't fire you because of tenure and you know nowadays good luck trying to fire a teacher there's teachers that have done some really really bad stuff because it's terrible stuff you can read about but they can't get fired because the union protects them so you may say but i like that that's kind of gives me safety no problem but the profile of people that don't like unions again are those i want to say i dictate my future for myself just like the gallup poll we ran no one should be surprised that anybody that gets entitlement programs is going to say, I support entitlement programs. Nobody's going to complain of anything that's being given to them freely to say, no, 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 this isn't good stuff. Keep sending it my way because I want more of these free programs. So there's a profile for people who like being part of the union. But let me give you an idea. I, I, earlier I talked about Hollywood, what's going on with them, you know, the SAG, the writers. Let me give you an idea of what happens when you're part of union, what you can't do. For example, there's a lot of guests that we were about to have on a podcast. You know what they responded back with? I cannot be on your podcast. Why not? One of them is a very, very famous conservative actor. Email back. I can't work because I'm part of the union. And you know who this guy is. But let me tell you what you can't do when you're part of a union in Hollywood. Acting, singing, dancing, performance stunts, piloting on camera aircraft, puppeteering, performance capture, motion picture work, ADR, looping, TV trailers, theatrical trailers, voice acting, singing, narration, stunt coordinating and related services, background work, stand-in work, photo or body doubles, fitting, wardrobe tests and makeup tests, rehearsals, camera tests, scanning, interviews and auditions, promotion of publicity services for workers under the TV and theatrical contract, such as tours, personal pre-nurses, interviews, conventions, fan expos, festivals, for your consideration, events, panels, premieres, screenings, award shows, junkets, podcast appearances, social media, studio showcases. They can't go on a podcast. How crazy is that? So if you like being controlled by the union, it's the perfect type of a membership if it fits your profile. But if you like to be free and dictate your terms, and you're going to say, I decide how much I get paid because I'm going to bust my tail, then you're not going to need a union. 
So look, we just looked at Hollywood, what that looks like if you're part of SAG or Writers Guild, all that stuff. But how about another industry, auto industry? Detroit was the place. All these automakers were there. And then all of a sudden, Union came and destroyed a once great city, Dearborn. I've been there. I saw what happened there. Conversations with a lot of people. But watch what happened with these guys. Foreign automakers entered the U.S. market in 1970 and hired non-union workers to build vehicles. Due to the savings and labor costs, they could afford to sell their vehicles for less than U.S. manufacturers. This made it much harder for unionized big three automakers to produce competitive cars at affordable prices, and they lost significant market share. So, so obviously in 1970, some of these guys can get away with it. Toyota, Nissan, these companies for decades got away with it, and then all of a sudden... Like, no, 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 boom, we got to get these companies chokehold, get them unionized. They did. Guess who's the only automaker in America today that's not unionized? You want to take a wild guess? It's one of the most hated guys in the world. He's evil. He just bought a company and changed the name to X. How dare he do something like that? Tesla is the only one that's not. And FYI, Philip Morris got a very high score, ESG, with A+, all this stuff. Tesla got a very low score because Tesla's ESG score is bad. They're bad people at Tesla, what Elon Musk is doing. You get the idea what's going on here? Non-union, union. How much longer do you think until they get a figure, hold of these guys to say, we got to make Tesla union as well? I don't know. But if the history tells us the way they've been handling things, eventually it's going to happen to them as well, unless if Elon fights it off. Last but not least, let's take a look at the history of unions in America. 1768, first record of a worker strike. 1794, Philadelphia shoemakers formed the first union. 1835, black caulkers held a strike at Washington Navy Yard. 1866, National Labor Union was created. 1867, National Union for Cigar Makers became first union to accept women and blacks. 1867, 2,000 Chinese workers on Transcontinental Railroad protested lower pay. 1913, Department of Labor, DOL, was created. 1914, Clayton Anti trust enacted. 1979, we had 21 million union members and 2021 non-union workers had median weekly earnings that were 83% of earnings of union members. You see that stat right there? That stat gets people to say, well, if I'm part of union, I'm going to make more money, right? Yes, if you are not planning to compete above and beyond everybody else. If you see yourself as a limited person with limited capacity, you could join the union. But if you see yourself as somebody that can improve with access to all this education that's out there, you're like, no, I don't have a limit on how much I can grow. Then no problem. Union's not for you. Now, if we look at union leaders, like if you were to talk about the first one, it would be Samuel Gompers, who was the first and longest serving president of American Federation of Labor, AFL. So him, this was like 1881 to around 1913, whatever the time, somewhere around that time frame that he has, lasted for a long time. So some people may say, well, listen, if you're a union leader for 30 years, don't you like become like a powerful figure, like almost like a mob boss sometimes? Because if we look at the history of people that became union leaders, a guy named Jimmy Hoffa. You want to know another one? Another guy named Stalin. You want another one outside of Stalin? Castro. Castro was a union leader. Now, you may say, Pat, you're just picking the evil ones and the bad ones. I'm not doing it. I'm just telling you who was before what they did when they got a lot of power and a lot of control and next thing you know, a lot of havoc happened. So yeah, maybe it's good in some cases. Maybe it's good if the government's not involved. Maybe it's good if you're not paying this much money to a political party. I mean, you get some stories that comes out October 1st, 2020. 11 union officials charged with racketeering, fraud, and bribery offenses. You would think this is from 40 years ago with some of the mob being connected to it. It's not. This is just 2020 that came out from the Southern District of New York. And we can go through a lot of different stories. I think the intentions starts off good if there's no term limits and you can stay there for too long. There is no difference between a union leader 
and a person in Congress that's been there for 30, 40, 50 years. It's a membership. You're getting away with doing whatever you want to do. You become some of the most powerful people. It's those people that say stuff like, ah, a president is only four years. We're going to be here for 40 years. Don't worry about it. A guy's going to come and go. It becomes about power. And that's what concerns the other 90% that doesn't yet want to be part of a union. So if you got value out of this video, give it a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. And if you didn't watch the video in regards to the strike in Hollywood, there's some crazy data on that. Click here to watch that video. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye, bye-bye.